Hi, and welcome to another edition of Deep Thoughts from the DSR Network. This is a special broadcast that we do once every week at the end of the week or at the beginning of the week, depending on how you look at it and how you listen to it, on things that are lingering in our minds. Uh, and by us, I mean me, David Rothkopf, who is the host of what we do at most of DSR, and also Chris Cotmore, who is the uh, president of the DSR Network and uh, the executive executive producer of everything we do. Um, how you doing, Chris? Doing great. Thanks. I, uh, like a lot of people, was struck and kind of disappointed by the reaction of the Biden administration to its official announcement of the fact that uh, Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman was behind the murder of Jamal Khashoggi. And um, as soon as it happened, I was I, I was I was struck by the fact that MBS was not directly penalized, um, even though he was directly behind a murder, a brutal murder, a murder of an American resident and a journalist for the Washington Post. Uh, and I thought that deserved real sharp reaction. Um, and so I said that and I wrote it. Um, but but I have to say, as I thought about it a little bit in retrospect, um, as often happens with these things, and as is the sort of pitfall of Twitter, um, I, 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 my views evolved a little bit. Um, and they evolved in, insofar as, not, not that I have changed my view, I, I still think he deserved um, direct sanctions, whether on his assets or his ability to come to the United States and, and so forth. But having said that, I thought that the administration generally handled the matter well, um, other than that fact. They got the declassified version of the intel findings public. They sanctioned Saudis close to MBS. They launched a program penalizing others who persecute journalists. They named it after Khashoggi, which... Um, is going to keep this front of mind for a long time. They did this in the right way, respecting process and collecting views from throughout the administration. Um, and all those are good things, and they're very different from the way these things were handled under Trump, who actively um, uh, defended uh, MBS uh, and actually rewarded him. Now, my you know concern is that by not directly sanctioning him, uh, what what you do is you send a message that top government officials around the world uh, who have interests that intersect with ours may act with impunity. Uh, it also suggests that the U.S. needs the Saudis so much that we dare not offend them by doing what's right. Uh, that's that's why I think it's it's the wrong choice diplomatically. Um, but if we take a step back and we look at the actions of the administration in their totality, they do send quite a clear message, and they actually do exact a clear punishment on MBS. And 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 this is sort of what struck me in the 24 hours after after this ha happened, um, because MBS was clearly identified as the architect of the murder in official docs, a fact that will follow him throughout his days, and a fact that was not acknowledged by the prior administration. Those close to him were sanctioned, which means he will feel it directly. Um, and let's 
be clear as a billionaire that the rest of the world wants to deal with. There are not many sanctions that we could impose on him that would actually um, have teeth. Uh, he has been snubbed by the administration. The president's refused to deal with him directly, thus demoting him in the eyes of a key international partner. The Khashoggi ban created by state draws a line of future behavior. It ensures the case will never be forgotten and that MBS will always be remembered for his despicable behavior. Um, earlier, this administration ended support for the war that MBS spearheaded in Yemen, which is a clear rebuke and a blow to him. Uh, a major policy shift that 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 um, has made clearly made them uncomfortable. Um, uh, this administration is also in the midst of actively pursuing a new deal with Iran. Uh, they are handling it better. They're consulting with the countries in the region better than uh, even Obama did. But in the end, reducing tensions with Iran, while net net good for the Saudis, will be a blow to hawks within the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. The administration's active, sweeping green energy and climate measures may be the biggest blow of all to the Saudis, because the more we reduce dependency on oil worldwide and reduce the main source of KSA leverage in the world, um, uh, you know, the more pain they're going to feel about this and the, the less significant they're going to be. There is nothing the United States could do to penalize the Saudis more then getting off our addiction to oil, helping the world off of its addiction to oil. Um, and the administration is also, above and beyond that, trying to dial back U.S. engagement in the region. Um, uh, Trump toadied to um, the royal family. The Bushes toadied to the royal family. Um, they saw Kingdom of Saudi Arabia as an ally, partner, friend, business associate. That's, that's, that's not the relationship that exists right here. Uh, the Biden administration has also said human rights is a top priority, and that is going to be there. And I suspect that is going to weigh heavily on the relationship. Um, now, I, I, I also think the administration could have made this case themselves. They could have said, look, um, you know, we're, we're, we're doing all of these things. This is actually kind of a comprehensive way of responding and penalizing MBS. Uh, but I, I understand they didn't do that for diplomatic reasons. Whether I agree or not, diplomacy is diplomacy. And with the Iran deal, it's clear they have bigger fish to fry. So in this case, although I believe they could have and should have gone further to sanction MBS personally, the actions of the Biden administration do tell a powerful story. Um, they do deliver a powerful message. It is clear that the page has turned on our past relationship with Saudi Arabia. This is a different era. It is going to be dealt with on different terms. Um, it is going to be much less comfortable for the entire uh, uh, ruling elite in Saudi Arabia and particularly uh, for Mohammed bin Salman. And so while we shouldn't minimize um, what we, they've done, and, and, and certainly we should criticize the administration to the degree that we feel comfortable with it, um, I suspect we should also acknowledge the fact that this is something that was felt um, uh, and, and, and as seen as extremely 
foreboding um, by Mohammed bin Salman and the ruling elite in Saudi Arabia. Um, and I, I just wanted to say that because, you know, you tweet something out in the heat of the moment and uh, and and then your ideas evolve and, you know, getting to nuance is not easy or instantaneous, uh, but it's important because when you take a step back and see things in their totality, um, you, you, you have a better appreciation for them uh, and can evaluate them, I think, more fairly. Um, that happens, you know, every day. You know, Chris, I'm, I'm making a per personally, I'm vowing, I'm making a New Year's resolution on March 1st, essentially, um, that I'm just going to tweet less and and shoot from the lip a little bit less more on, on Twitter, um, which will undoubtedly make your life a lot easier in managing uh, what we do. I just, I just don't see that happening um, <laughs> at all. Too well, too much of an addiction. I, I wake up and there's already like four threads that you've put together. Um, well, it's therapy, you know. It 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 helps it helps me work it out. And and by the way, you know, a lot of times, like you know, I write for the Daily Beast, I write for USA Today, I write for Haaretz, I write for a bunch of publications regularly. I Twitter's kind of like a notepad, you know. And 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 what's more, it's public notepad. So if I say something that's really dumb or I make a mistake, there's so many people who will correct me. And things like, what are you feeding your dog? Why do you treat your dog that way? You know, I mean, there, I, I get a lot of feedback on almost everything. Yeah, and it's a lot to take in. And sometimes I just have to take a break from it all. Um, I just I just wanted to mention quickly the um, we taped a new episode of The Secret Life of Cookies on uh, Friday with Lori Garrett. And, you know, Lori's been on the show before and she said some things that she hadn't said in the past that I found um, interesting. Uh, the first is the first question Marissa asked her, what was, you know, did she expect to be here a year later? And she essentially said yes and no, that she was pleasantly surprised that we have a vaccine at this point, but also made the point that people still need to wear masks, even when fully vaccinated. And she gave an example of the polio vaccine and the fact that people are still getting sick uh, with polio, even after being vaccinated. And it turned out that, you know, the virus was still, you know, alive in human waste. She also said, you know, that well, she did share a, uh, a story about a run-in she had with a mask wearer who wasn't six feet. And it reminded me, I don't know if you've seen the South Park episode on the pandemic, but it's pretty inappropriate. In any case, it, rem it reminded me of that. Um, I, get, I get a lot of my insights into world affairs from South Park. Yeah, well, that, my, that, that was my, an over-the-top episode. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, people should listen to it. Um, I, I get, uh, you know, I, 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 you know, despite the fact, or you know, I feel I'm biased. It's my, my sister is the host, but um, these have turned into real interesting discussions each and every week. It's it takes us in a place we wouldn't go in our normal discussion. 
Yeah. You know, there's, you know, this week there was a, a little bit less cooking. Marissa was kind of using up her black bean stash for the pandemic and also made mention of her uh, gin stash. So she Just was going to have, yeah, black bean dip and a gin and tonic. The other and interesting I've, thing. I've noticed a lot of her ba- baking recipes have involved soaking raisins in like brandy. I mean, she's trying to f- work alcohol into what she's cooking all the time. You know, there was a story about a woman who turned 105 who survived COVID. And she said the secret is that she eats nine gin-soaked raisins every morning. <laughs> so the secret to longevity apparently is uh, gin-soaked raisins. The one other interesting thing Lori mentioned is that the flu this year is is at the lowest levels since World War II because COVID's essentially pushed it aside. So they, you know, there's virtually no flu. She said the chances, you know, if you have a cough and a sore throat, the ch- the chances that you have COVID is pretty high, you know, versus versus the flu. And and you know, I'm thinking, you know, we we Malcolm Wood haven't seen flu in our, you know, circle. And usually it's going through the schools like wildfire. No, it's kind of, it's kind of amazing. I, you know, I was thinking about it because it's a year into this. Um, and it's, it's, I mean, I think the lockdown began in, 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 in New York state, like, the first or second week of March. And so we're just coming up on, on, a, on a year of it. And no one could have predicted, you know, 500,000 deaths at that time, or few people did, uh, or 25 million cases, or the huge economic consequences, because no one thought the government would be so sort of criminally corrupt. But there is another there are another couple of sides to the story, which are like every, every person in America's life has been affected by this. This is, you know, a bigger tragedy in terms of loss of life in one year than has ever occurred in the United States ever in terms of the real loss of life. We're probably past the, the Spanish flu of 1918. And, and, and so I think there's these la- there's lasting, lingering psychological and emotional costs. But even beyond that, there's yet another story, and I, I think of it when I think of you talking about you know your kids and school and stuff, and that is how adaptable everybody is. If you had told me, you know, anybody, oh, we're going to lock down the United States. Most of the people in the United States aren't going to go out. They're not going to go to a restaurant for a year. They're not going to go to a movie for a year. They're not going to go to a sporting event for a year. They're not going to go to their offices. They're going to telecommute. They're not going to see their friends. It's not to say this didn't happen. But but for the most part, people's lives have changed profoundly. And, you know, setting aside, not, not minimizing, but setting aside for a moment the tragedies that have been associated and the hardship that's been associated with it. There's been a kind of spirit of adaptation. I mean, I'm not, by the way, I'm also going to set aside the ones that reject it and, you know, say it didn't really happen and, you know, so forth. Um, But think of your community. Think of the people around you. 
they, you know, essentially they were said, your life is not going to be the way it was. And they said, okay, let's figure out how to live. Yeah. I mean, I, I even just, you know, thinking about our show and the evolution of it in the last year, you know, if we said, we're going to do all this via zoom, we're going to, you know, use videos. I mean, it's it, in a lot of ways, people were not only adapting, but pretty opportunistic in terms of the tools that they had available to them. And, you know, in the, I think in, you know, in the beginning, it was awkward. And over time, you know, it's kind of gotten just to be business as usual. Now, the other thing on the, on the school's front, you know, obviously this is being heavily debated. My kids did remote for the first half and they're back in school. And, you know, I think the school does a really good job of keeping kids safe, making sure they're wearing masks, you know, putting in procedures that have to be followed. But I'm, I'm listening to, I listened to the part one of the uh, Odessa, Texas, the daily uh, story that, you know, Odessa, Texas makes their schools offer in-person learning. So their teachers have to be there. And in, Odessa has been open since, um, since, you know, August, since the school year started. And it's, it's un like a lot of these kids, you know, it's an oil town and, you know, because of the, uh, the demand for oil has declined because of the pandemic, a lot of these kids have to work. So not only are they remote, but they're logging into school from their jobs. And, you know, I mean, we're obviously fortunate to be able to do what we do, what we do. Um, but there's a lot of people out there that are just, it's, it's, it's gut wrenching what's, what's happening in some of these communities across the country. Yeah, there's, there's, there's no question about it. Obviously, you know, I mean, one of the other aspects of it from our perspective is this was the year that, you know, podcasts became sort of central to everybody. Um, you know, everybody has a podcast that, you know, it's a sort of a source of, slight embarrassment when I tell people that we do this, but, um, uh, but, but people are listening all day long. We, and we're super lucky that the people who listen, the members of deep state radio, the people who listen to our show have been listening for five years, um, listen to all, a, a lot of the, what we produce. If we do four shows a week or five, they'll listen to two or three or four. Um, but I, you know, I think, you know, you and I have talked about it. I think our plan is to expand this and try to bring together other independent podcasts that are not part of some big network and and make a kind of one-stop shop for looks at, you know, politics, public service, national security, foreign policy, those kind of things that are not, you know, that are that are much more in-depth and expert-driven than a lot of what you'll see even on on cable news, and I th I think there's a niche to be filled there, and I think we've seen a lot of of growth from that. I'm, you know. Yeah, no, and I mean, and you know, I'll just end with I you know I I'll tease a little bit of of an announcement that you know we're going to be able to make. I think probably next week we're introducing another new show, and it's a, it's a, it's going to be an exciting partnership. I'm really looking forward to being able to talk about it and get rolling with it. Yeah. I'd love to know what that, that is, but I, th I think it's a cool show with a cool partner. 
um, and we're trying to expand things. Um, and, and as our members have seen, we're trying to expand it for our members, especially. So we now have once a week Q and a session with, um, uh, uh, somebody this week, we're going to do one with Rosa Brooks, our longtime partner, who's got a book coming out. And I think that's going to be kind of cool. Uh, and those have done very well. We try to limit it to 20, 30, 40, 50 people in the room so that everybody can participate. Uh, but if you're a member and you're not joining in for those things, you're making a mistake. They're really, really good. And it's kind of a chance to go and pick the mind of an expert on whatever is on your mind. Rosa's one of the smartest people I know. And then we do this. And no, if you're not a member, you don't get these things. Um, what can we do to encourage the members to get other people to, to sign up for memberships? Maybe we could offer them a discount or something. Like if, if they get somebody else sign up for a membership, the member gets a discount on their, gets their next year for X percent off or something. We should create a, a program so that the members can be evangelists for this, Chris, on the spot. What should we do for them? Yeah, I think, I mean, we have a referral program in place. I think it's probably not um, as socialized as we can make it, and it certainly can be tweaked, so it's easily understood. How does it, how does it work? They can simply, they share a, a link that's unique to their account, and um, if people sign up, it gets tracked as they were the source. And, you know, when they refer, when they get to, um, you know, two or three people, I mean, we, we could change it up, but it, right now it's at something like, you know, if you get to three people, you get a gift card. Um, I have to dust the program off. I, you know, producing uh, six shows in a week um, takes a little, time little bit of my time. <laughs> Well, let's let's between now and this week and next week, let's try and figure out a way. Maybe we can, you know, with every new person you get, you get 10 or 15 or 20 percent discount on your next renewal. And so if you get a couple of people, you get a big discount. But I, I, you know, I mean, why am I saying this? I'm saying it because you're listening because you're a member. And if you're a member and you like what we've been doing, you've been listening to this for a while. Uh, then you've got to know that the only way that we can, you know, keep doing this is if we get more people paying memberships and we want to provide more stuff. So the other thing I would say is go to the Slack and say, you know, what's most valuable to me as a member, you know, what I would like as a member and tell us, cause we'll do it. We're one of, you know, we're one of those little energetic companies um, uh, that, that is, it is going to adapt. We are going to grow a lot over the next year, but what we want to do is grow in the direction that our members want us to go. So how do they get to the Slack, Chris? Um, people who are members can just go to our Slack channel. Um, and if there's anybody that's listening to this who has not, uh, you know, or is not on Slack, um, they can email us at uh, info at the dsrnetwork.com and I'll make sure that you get the link. One thing we are absolutely committed to is being the most member responsive um, podcast media, interactive media organization out there. If you've got an idea, if you've got a question, if you've got a concern, we will respond right, right away. And I, and I think many of you know that if you've had a problem signing on or something, um, we respond instantly. Chris often responds himself personally. 
yeah, uh, via many channels. So uh, yeah, I mean, from like, your kids' swim practices. Yeah, maybe not from uh, swim practices, but I hear my son playing the kazoo right now. It's perfect timing. Yeah, well, that's always it's always great to listen to your kids play instruments like that. Maybe one of them could take up the drums. That would really. Luckily, he he tried. Um, he's right now. He is learning to play the violin. Nice. And uh, somebody sounds like they're playing piano downstairs. So, well, it sounds like there's a lot of entertainment going on in the Cottonwood household. So, I, you know, I think this has been it for this episode of Deep Thoughts. Some of our thoughts are deep. Some of them are not so deep. Um, but maybe they'll trigger deep thoughts in you. Email us. Uh, text us slack at us at dm us on twitter we will respond and we will continue to grow in ways that you want us to grow uh and chris you know um you know go and enjoy the musical performance that's taking place (laughs) i will do that thank you all right uh so long everybody and uh, we'll see you tomorrow with the first show of the new week bye bye